Action horse, please. Did you just do anything? No, it's a, sorry, cut. Yeah, really. 102, take two. Ah, the French champagne has always been celebrated for its excellence. There is a California champagne by Paul Masson, inspired by that same French excellence. It's fermented in the bottle, and like the best French champagne, it's vintage dated. Cut. So, Paul Masson. 102, take three. Action, please. Ah, the French champagne has always been celebrated for its excellence. There is a California champagne by Paul Masson, inspired by that same French excellence. podcast well welcome to i think you'd be into it the, the podcast about your problematic wines which will cover no topic before it's it's time i'm your huh, what Am I god to, i gotta hope that somebody else has seen these commercials <laughs> oh i'm sh- i'm if you're listening to the orson wells episode you have You've to at definitely least know that seen the will sell no wine before it's time hi everybody welcome to i think you'd be into it uh the podcast about your favorite old hollywood weirdos i'm your host brandon beck i'm your other host beth scorzata and joining us today is uh raconteur bon vivant uh, host of the podcasts World's a Mess and Quality Interruption, and uh, longtime friend of the show, James Kisslingbury. James, welcome to the show. Or welcome back, I should say. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Last seen on episode 34 about the Alien franchise. And we, what a, that was, feels like a million years ago. It feels like a million years ago and about six months ago. It kind of was. It was, nope, it was uh, October 2018 is when that one came out. So it was a while ago. Before our two-year hiatus. I don't know, just, I mean, sort of. One. One and a half. We made it through, like, November 2018, and then, like, 2019 just kind of happened a lot. A lot of 2019 happened. So we took a year off, about a year and a half. And then 2020 didn't happen. Which is why we and started so the show. And so that brought the show back. Hey. Uh, well, uh, thank you so much for uh, for coming back. Well, thank you for having me. It's it's. I'm glad to be back. It, it is an honor. Like it was literally so we could have people to talk to. Yeah. No. I mean, that's. Uh, I've had definitely had that experience where it's just like, if I don't get pretend, if I don't make content, which is the saddest thing to ever for a human being to say. It's like I'm just never going to see my friends, which is an even sadder thing to say. So it's just like, let's go, let's go make a show, I guess. So we can, we can have an excuse to hang out because we might kill each other if we get in the same room. So, but it's good to be back. And most importantly, we're talking about cool stuff like Orson Welles. I mean, cool is a broad (laughs) term. Uh, The cool. Um, But before uh, we get into uh, the coolest man who's ever lived perhaps Mm -hmm. uh let's get into some things we're into this week does anybody have one because if not i I know you do you talked to me about it earlier 
Oh, but see, yeah, here's the thing. I, ch- I, I changed You changed mine. it in the past hour since we mm-hmm. talked about this? Tommy Bahama mm-hmm. has a new, they're doing a collab with uh, Acronym. <laughs> How did you know? They're, having active, they're ha- doing active wear Hawaiian shirts. They are $1,200 a piece, and they're made out of Gore-Tex. Yeah. You use promo code Brandon, you'll save 9%. <laughs> Fuck. I'm actually now like really upset that I would buy a acronym Gore-Tex Hawaiian that shirt. That doesn't exist. If I had $1,500, I would buy that. <laughs> that actually would kind of whip like a full like winter jacket that had a pattern like it was a fucking floral shirt. Dear Emerson Hughes, Errolson Hughes, whatever. I have an idea. <laughs> Errol Flynn. Um, the thing I'm into this week is first the temperature changed. Then it got colder and colder. Then all the rich people got on a big ass train. And us oh. poor people tried to get on the big ass train, and a lot of us got killed by the rich people trying to do it. But now we all live on this big on this big ass train called Snowpiercer, one thousand and one cars long. He just keeps saying that around the house. Have you actually watched the show, or have you just listened to the premise of it over and over again? Yeah. No, apparently he's been watching it, but apparently they do this like exposition narration at the top of every episode that ends with one thousand and one cars long. So he's just yeah. been like tagging that on the end of things around the house that have nothing to do with it. <laughs> Hey kids, I'm Sean Bean. I'd like to talk to you about railroad transportation. You just you just covered his very good, very good Sean Bean joke. Uh, yeah, I missed it, but uh, I'll, I'll I'll cut out the dumb thing I was saying so the audience can hear it. It's just Sean Bean, folks. It's Sean Bean. He'll reappear. Don't worry. He's like if you don't get enough Sean Bean right now, just give it about two months. You'll get Sean Bean in something else. He'll come back in something. They'll have killed him off in what he's in now, so he'll be freed up for a project, yep. and he'll show up in something else. That's really why he's so prolific. It's that he's always available. Yeah, they have to pay him more if they don't kill him. Um, but yeah, the uh, the the Snowpiercer TV show. Um, each episode opens with uh, one of the characters sort of doing a little like narration that ends that way, and a lot of times it's in like you know the very smooth Tay Diggs voice or like the very like stoic Jennifer Connelly voice. But then occasionally you'll get it, and it'll be like Mike O'Malley, who's like a train cop, <laughs> or like the weird doctor guy. Um, but I'm, I'm really enjoying the show. I'm, I'm only I, like, um, can, yeah. can we back up for one second? Mm-hmm. Did you confuse Tay Diggs and David Giggs? Did, oh, did I say Tay Diggs? Yeah, you I sure, sure did. did. Yeah. I meant, yeah. uh, David Diggs. Okay. Um, Just wow. Checking. Yeah, no, it's, de- it's definitely David Diggs. Um, yeah. it's definitely Diggs not, and Diggs, yeah. it's not Tay Diggs. It's not that, uh, Tay Diggs does a Groundhog's Day show. Just wanted to, I mean, I literally just Googled it to make sure I wasn't going to like jump on you when, uh, <laughs> when he was in it. But no, I, I, I think you meant David Diggs. Those are two very different gentlemen. Yeah. Gonna go ahead and say like the opposite, actually. Like Tay Diggs is as like, <laughs> he's almost aquatic. And, like, how smooth he is. Like, there's something, uh, like, cetacean about him. <laughs> Whereas, like, David Diggs looks like they found him. Just like, do you want to be in movies? And he goes, yeah, great. <laughs> All right, let's get you out of this forest. And let's let's get you to work. Do you want to be Thomas Jefferson? Sure. Yeah, I'll pu- let's put him to work. He looks great. Let's put you on this train, 1,001 cars long. Well, what is Tay Diggs up to? Um, but the the show is is uh, I'm enjoying it so far. It's it's one of those uh, like TV versions where they just took the premise of the movie and started from scratch. Um, so there's no Chris Evans, there's no Tilda Swinton, but there are like equivalents. 
Um, well, I mean, the point of Snowpiercer, the movie, is that's the end of the train. So that's like many years in the future. Oh, that's, I suppose that's true. You don't need true. Chris Evans or Tilda Swinton because you could just say that's 200 years later. I suppose that's true. Um, but no, it's it's very much like a, like, it's pretty firmly established that it's like a different uh, sort of uh, mythology. Well, within the continuity of the comic book, there are two trains at polar opposites of the Earth that are constantly moving asynchronously of each other. So, so who knows? There are multiple snow piercers. There's two piercers? Yeah, there's dew piercers. <laughs> May we? 2002 cars long. <laughs> um, but I- I'm enjoying it a lot. Um, I thought the movie was fine. Um, the concept of like, hey, it's Brazil on a train is pretty cool. Um, but they've they've added a little bit of like a like a murder mystery element to it, uh, where David Diggs plays the one apocalypse survivor who used to be like a forensic detective. Um, so like he gets pulled up to first class from uh, the tail to, you know, try to solve a murder. So the rich people don't get freaked out that there was a murder of another rich people. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's a really cool, uh, Wait, a murder on a train. That'll never work. That it, yeah, right. There's no, you can't make a mystery out of that. That's there's no precedent no. of that. I, I, this show's premise, I think, is already showing its wear now. Um, but uh, David Poirot is is really good as the cop. <laughs> um, please stop doing and, the accent, David. Yeah, weirdly, oh, all right, Fine. <laughs> David Christie. <laughs> um, and like weirdly, Mike O'Malley is in it, which like I can never see Mike O'Malley in something without thinking about that radical rock, the Agrocrag. I'm sorry, the what? That radical rock, the aggro crag from uh, Glow Saying Guts. it again doesn't doesn't clarify. Oh, Michael Malley. Wow. Okay. Like we need a working class looking guy. Yes. Okay. Well, he's on guts. Oh, he's the guts guy. Yeah, the okay. guts guy, and the guy from that that other show before guts. See, I just think of the guy from Double Dare with um, OCD. That's the only. That's my only. That's the touchstone I have. Mm. Yeah, you're thinking Mark Summers. Yeah, Mark Summers. Is he on the show? Because he should be. He should be. Um, they haven't gotten to if there's like an OCD ward on the, the train yet, but who knows? We haven't seen much of first class. Um, the the other uh, weird fact about Mike O'Malley is that he co-wrote Escape from Margaritaville to Margaritaville, whatever it was called, the Jimmy Buffett musical. Oh, it's all it all adds up. Now we know why you're watching this. Show. Yeah, it all adds up. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. All, all, all roads lead it's, to it's uh, escape to Jimmy. Margaritaville, babe. They wouldn't make it escape from Margaritaville. That would be bad marketing. For a minute, I was considering just writing another Jimmy Buffett jukebox musical, like an unrelated one, and it would be called Escape from Margaritaville. Well, you get Captain Ron. That's a very who... different. That's a very different show. Escape from Margaritaville. <laughs> Captain Ron, uh, the Captain and Tennille. Um. Uh, Lyle love it, but uh, what if Captain yeah, and Tennille were in charge of the Snowpiercer? <laughs> one thousand and one auto harps long. <laughs> um, so yeah, Snowpiercer, uh, the TV show, it's it's worth checking out. It's on HBO Max. Um, I think the second season is like in progress right now. Um, but it's a it's a it's a fun like even kind of background watch. Um. Uh, lots of shots of David Diggs like eating food and just like looking like he's about to come. 
because uh, when you're in the tail, you just get to eat like those little like cockroach energy bars. Mm. Yeah, is, it, is there a lot of the cockroach energy bars? A lot of those shots? Uh, we've we've only seen we've only seen one, and mm. it felt like one of those Not things it. where it's like we're gonna show some people wheeling one down, like wheeling a cart of them down the hall, so people can be like, oh, from the movie. <laughs> It's pretty much what I show up to the Snowpiercer movie for is those like licorice bars. Oh, yeah. Um, well, the reason I show up to the movie is uh, watching Alice and Pilgo. We all freeze in, die, and then like wielding a uh, an automatic rifle and just being great uh, dead. Captain America eats a baby. It's a great movie. What do you want? What do you want from a movie? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the hell There's out of it. <laughs> yeah. There's uh, a guy with tattoos who does parkour. What are you talking about? What do you watch? What do you watch movies for? Well, it, the movie doesn't have Mike O'Malley, though, so uh, point against it. <laughs> Mike O'Malley or Sting's daughter. But, uh, fair enough. There's a guy who kind of looks like Stellan Sarsgaard. That's something. That's true. That's true. Um, so, yeah, that's... Is it, are we sure it's just not a different Skarsgård? No one really knows which Skarsgård How many Skarsgårds there guard. are at any given time? No. It's not allowed. You can't know how many there are. It's a secure for security reasons. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, we got We really got to worry about the uh, Spars Guards opsec. Ops um, yeah. So yeah, that's that's my recommendation. Snowpiercer, one thousand and one cars long. Uh, what about y'all? Uh, well, we watched Raya and the Last Dragon last night, and I really enjoyed it. One thousand and one stones long. And I would die for Con Baby. I would die for Con Baby, um, which if you've seen the movie, you understand. Wait, which last? Oh, that last dragon. I'm sorry. I was thinking of the 1985 movie, The Last Dragon. Um, of course you were. Right. Okay. I missed the first word. No, Raya and the Last Dragon, uh, the new Disney movie. Um, we watched that. We watched that last night. We had a little date night. It was very cute. It was beautifully animated. Yeah. Um, I did cry at the end. Um, I don't know. It's a good movie. It's a good kids movie. And um, I enjoyed it. And I would die for Con Baby. There's this little, uh, there's this little like uh, baby who is a con artist and has three little monkey friends. Um, and they steal good. shit from people. And I love that. Sounds like, <laughs> sounds like something. Yeah, I can there's, into. there's a couple it's shots great. in that thing that are like wildly long tracking shots at like, a hundred miles per hour that feel like a drone shot that are just so cool. Um, and all the, the uh, production design of the various like kingdoms or sub kingdoms. Oh within yeah. This I world. mean, it's a, it's a fantasy world that's like loosely based around Asian cultures. Um, but like every different like tribe has their own little like microculture and like style and like, Oh, the, the, the different design and the different, areas like the different landscapes and everything like i'm i'm really like really into the world building of it and like i don't know i really enjoyed it if you have a kid i would maybe say like yeah it's it's worth the 30 bucks if if you're us then um oh god it's worth a bit torrent definitely paid the yeah. money for it <laughs> 30 bucks it's worth the bit torrent Man. what the yeah does um, it get you high Whatever, what Disney, it, has, enough, Disney has enough money. No, the, the marijuana got us high. You have to pay for that. Disney has enough Whatever. money. They didn't need my money. So I I uh, definitely watched it legally. Paid I understand. This. Yeah, I definitely watched it legally on Disney+. Plus. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not here to encourage or discourage anyone from, from consuming media in the way that they feel comfortable doing. Yeah. We got it from our uncle who works at BitTorrent. <laughs> 
my uncle works at Pirate Bay, and they already have a second Raya movie. <laughs> it it was made in, entirely in Portugal. Yeah, it's right? a tax cheat. What does Disney do that isn't a tax cheat? Well, yeah, that's true. James, what about you? Um, I, you know, I'm glad I, I should have like come prepared with something, but I looked over. I did the move that every creative person does, which is I look around my room. Uh, it's called the Nick Cave method. You just look around your room. Yeah. And you just talk about a thing that you see. And there's your new album. I will not be talking about the new uh, Nick Cave and Warren Ellis album uh, instead, which is fine. So what you're saying is you love lamp. I love lamps. Actually, I, I could talk about this lamp I got, which is like a great purchase that I made. Honestly, into it. It's, I finally found a lamp that I liked, but we're not going to talk about the lamp. It's a good lamp, but um, I would like to talk about With Fire and Sword by Henry Seinkiewicz, which is a very Polish name. Uh, Heinrich, possibly Henrik Seinkiewicz, um, is, anyways, With Fire and Sword is like a very well-known Polish historical novel about the <sighs> Zaporozhian Cossack Rebellion against the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth in the 1600s. All very well. I won't bore you with, uh, you know, you this is all stuff you folks already know. Um, but I read the first one of that, and it's again, it's a very well known story, like in that part of the world, and it just never made it over here because the guy has a name that's a million letters long, and it's about a portion of history that Americans and the English speaking world doesn't care about. Um, but uh, it's there's a lot, there's like a very well regarded, um, I want to say it's either Russian or Polish miniseries of this of this with fire and sword, but anyways. Um, it is a historical novel that's a lot of fun, and it's a lot of, uh, you know, knights swearing allegiance to princesses and stuff like that. And then there's just Cossacks, who are very, uh, they're all over the place. 1,001 Cossacks long. That's, that. yep. When, and uh, and it's got a character who's a lot of fun called Zagloba, who is a big, fat party animal, uh, who is not unlike Falstaff. He's basically just Falstaff. Um, he has one eye, a big mustache. And is constantly drunk and apologizing for it. So that's what I'm into. And again, lots of guys with mustaches. So if you just want to read stories about mustaches, I got a book for you. I mean, Falstaff never apologizes. So no. that's right. It's a Falstaff promise, baby. Speaking of Falstaff and drunks who never apologize, let's move on to the the man of the hour, shall we, Mister Orson Welles? You know what, babe? That's the first segue you've done that's ever worked. Yeah, it was sexy as hell, right? <laughs> mm, let's not go that far. Ah, the segue. <laughs> so, uh, James, if if our listeners don't know, who's Orson Welles? Uh, Orson Welles, thank you for asking me, Brandon. Uh, Orson Welles is a legendary film actor, writer, director, magician, big guy, and uh, just uh, like gossipy bitch um, of like old Hollywood. <laughs> Uh, he is a uh, enfant terrible and a burnout, uh, all within the same decade. Uh, he is also, um, uh, and I will uh, not make many of these jokes. He is a infamously large man, and uh, who is basically uh, his entire life a, a mercenary and an actor for hire. Uh, who, in between long spells of really unfortunate uh, for hire work, trying to make uh, legitimate art, he is a legend. In his own time, and uh, a, a living cartoon character. He's a absolute delight. I mean, he is truly one of one of Hollywood's 
greatest just fucking catty bitches and i love oh him. yeah yeah and that's kind of how he winds up resurfacing every couple years is like some some clip that nobody had seen in a while some of him shit he said interviewing someone <laughs> and just like being brutally catty uh will we'll resurface and there will be a, a brief run of orson wells jokes on twitter um including your fantastic series of orson wells godzilla jokes Speaking of, actually, I know we normally do uh, listener questions at the end, but somebody, the one response we have gotten was, I would love a ranking of his sickest burns and heated grudges. <laughs> love this messy bitch. <laughs> That's a tough one. Um, yeah. So I, I think the the primary, like, so uh, one thing I'll say is that I, I'm not an Orson Welles uh, expert. I am an Orson Welles fan. So if I miss something or I get something wrong, uh, just text just twitter just twitter beth and brandon i it's nothing to do with me um i'm not i'm no simon callow who is on every single criterion dvd of like oh good i needed i need to pay a rent this week thank god criterion is putting out a dvd of orson wells's chimes at midnight i can appear and talk for 20 minutes about it <laughs> chimes at midnight does rule though it fucking it's well it, it rules um so, uh, yeah, Orson, like the, this, I think the primary, like, there's a lot of interviews with Orson Welles, and there's a reason for that. But, like, the, the main, like, body of Orson Welles kind of being a bitch is um, a book called My Lunches with Orson Welles by Henry Jagalom. Uh, Henry Jagalom was a fellow filmmaker who was um, very bad at making films, but for whatever reason, him and Orson Welles struck up a friendship. Um, and they had lunch together, like, every day for. I don't know how long. It seems like forever, but they would just go to Ma Maison, which is uh, Wolfgang Puck's restaurant that he used that he used to run, or he was the head chef of it uh, back in like the seventies in Beverly Hills. And Orson Welles would just sit down, and Henry Jagalom would record, and Orson Welles would just talk shit about everything nonstop, um, and it's fantastic. So, like most of the time, when you see him talking shit about Chaplin. Or um, who's the guy who murdered that those children and the and Vic Morrow he Landis uh, John Landis uh, or like who whoever else uh, yeah or Hitchcock it's uh, it's usually it's from that uh, from that book which um, there's a lot of audio of it so you can like a lot of Orson Welles stuff you can hunt it down very easily there is a a wealth of Orson Welles back matter that's just at your fingertips folks. Oh, yeah. He's definitely one of those guys that is known just as much for being a catty bitch uh, as for his, like, genuinely great film works, which kind of rules. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. I, I would I would say the, the, the way a lot of people probably of our generation are familiar with Orson Welles is through Maurice LaMarche doing just a straight up Orson Welles voice uh, as the brain on Pinky and the Brain for the last. 25 years it is the sophisticated wit and charm of pinky and the brain that has captured steven's heart as well as making it the breakaway hit of the wb schedule yeah the people of our age and our generation it's probably something that kept orson wells like in the popular culture as much as anything else was just the fact that like your mom watches this going like why is that guy doing an orson wells impression why is he a mouse and you go and you're eight and you go huh who um, but like Pinky in the Brain is one of those things, but it's also um, the Simpsons had like a long as multiple, multiple references to Citizen Kane specifically, but also um, 
Mr. Burns is basically just the main guy from Magnificent Ambersons. Like down, <laughs> like anytime you see young Mr. Burns, it's literally just a scene from uh, Magnificent Ambersons where he's like dressed like a little Lord Fauntleroy. Like that's all the beginning of that movie. It's just Mr. Burns jokes. Like to the point of which, to the point of which you're watching it going like, wait a minute. Can I like actually just watch this movie as a normal person or am I just going to be imagining Mr. Burns the entire time? Um, but like those those out you can't. No, absolutely. I mean, that also is like the fun of it um, is that like Orson Welles as a as a person, as a personality is there long before you ever really even understand any of his movies. Like there's no five year old who watches Citizen, maybe there is, who watches Citizen Kane. But like you've seen Simpsons, you've seen Pinky in the Brain. And like all of these jokes have been just like in your system and all of these like touchstones about like Rosebud and this, that and the other. Yeah. I've just or like, well, that's the- like we've talked before about how Animaniacs taught us more about like classical like education and like film and stuff than any actual like viewing. <laughs> or yeah, I mean, just it's a completely it's a t- very different show. Well, I remember like Eek the Cat had like a um, full episode that was just apocalypse now and by the time i got to apocalypse now i was like oh that's really okay that's really good actually good work guys (laughs) wow eek the cat i haven't heard that name in years yeah right sharky the shark dog that show's okay yeah the show's pretty all right um yeah so yeah how did how did you first uh become fascinated by by Mr. Wells conscious of Orson Wells when when was my start of radicalization (laughs) um no I think I think like I was saying is that it probably started with a lot of Simpsons jokes and understanding the fact that these are Citizen Kane references um either like my parents telling me or seeing like I think I talked about this on on Equality Interruption this week of like it used to be before YouTube you would just watch the Academy Awards and there would be a montage of like famous cinematography and there would be like three seconds of a movie and you'd go, oh, what the hell is this? What's this movie? And I'll just go, Citizen Kane. And then it moves on and you would have to like, that would just be in your brain for like the next decade until you could hunt down a copy of it. Um, but like, I think it was always there because um, also I, I have a very specific memory of Orson Welles being on I Love Lucy um as a magician oh my god what he does uh the trick he does is that lucy is on a is balanced on a broom on her arm and she like spins around on the broom i forget what the exact bit is but it involves you know it's a it's a visual trick but orson wells is on it with i love lucy and my mom uh is a twin does he sit in with uh ricky's band uh in my mind he does it's uh, ricky please let me just play the con the conga drums <laughs> come on ricky let me do it. Let me be in the show, Ricky. His clamoring was preposterous. <laughs> um, no, my mom was a twin, or is a twin, I should say. The other one's still around. Um, and they're identical, so basically that means that uh, you can get work as a magician's assistant. Because, uh, spoiler alert, they just have twins. You just make one disappear and the other appears in the back, because it's a twin. <laughs> and uh, that's how that illusion works. And I think she she worked with Orson Welles. There's a photo of her and Orson Welles at one point because he was a magician for some reason. There, Orson Welles had a magician phase. Of course he did. Oh, yeah, of course he did. Of course he did. You know, that is like an edifying fact when you watch like a lot of his movies. You go, oh, well, OK, yes, cinema is a magic trick. That's like 
a fundamental understanding to how how movies work but also f for fake is a is a magic trick like the whole thing is i'm gonna tell you how to do this trick this card trick and then he does the card trick and you're like how did he do it it's like he told you he made you forget because that it's fun um rules but yeah my mom like my mom performed with orson wells so that was always in uh in the back of my head is like oh orson wells like my mom met him in the 60s or whenever the hell that 70s whenever that was um but yeah so like that was that was always there and then i didn't see citizen kane until um it's probably it was on tv i feel like every once in a while on like pbs like our local you know kct whatever local public uh television but i didn't watch it in until college and uh citizen kane as it turns out it's very good it's, it's a reason people say it's the best movie of all oh, time yeah. he was so fucking mad at um hearst i think that's her hearst <laughs> yeah. really mad at one of them yeah well it's 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 a that's, it's I mean, um the whole movie was just him it was just his burn book against <laughs> fucking william randolph hearst well and that's that's a funny because that's another thing because like um uh, we have Hearst Castle up up the coast there, but in San Simeon in in uh, Southern California. Yeah, where Chris Hardwick lives. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, right. Yeah, isn't that weird? Huh. I wonder if he's this like. Yeah, right. I forgot that Chris Hardwick, um, alleged sex pest is. Uh, oh yeah, for sure, married to Lydia Hearst. But definitely married to a Hearst. Um, definitely technically a billionaire now. I mean, I work in comics. I think it's a little more than alleged, but... Um, I don't need Pinkertons coming after me. That's what I'm saying. No, it's fine. The... the I, I think the, the thing... One of the things about Orson Welles that I think a lot of... I'm trying to figure out how to phrase We were talking about how, like, oh, like, a lot of people may not... Younger people may not know who he is, but I think that, weirdly, the one time he does come up, like, still in a tradition, quote-unquote traditional, like, American education, is the War of the Worlds. Like, most... That was what I was first aware of Orson Welles from, is from his radio reading of War of the Worlds, where people fucking freaked out. <laughs> I completely forgot that was him. And that was in 1938. He did so much radio before he became a film guy. I mean, that's one of those things I think is just funny, because so much about... Orson Welles seems like kind of popular history with him that we just sort of accept that it's like, oh, the reason his career blew up was because William Randolph Hearst got pissed off at him. It's like, no, his career blew up because he went to Brazil after like once his movie wrapped and they went, hey, Orson, how do you want us to edit this? And he went, I'm drunk and hung up the phone like and he would do that consistently. <laughs> yeah. um, but like the funny th the funny thing about the War of the Worlds broadcast is like it has commercial breaks. So like, yeah, you had yeah. what like so there's the mass hysteria thing, and it's like, people look, Americans are idiots. I'm not going to say they aren't idiots, but like, the funny thing is like, oh, everybody freaked out. It's like, right, right up until somebody was like, and now uh, we go to Alcoa, who makes the finest of aluminiums. Alcoa coming, it's in your house now, and also brought to you by Charleston Chews. You can smoke them. In fairness. <laughs> There would have been ads during a news program, too. True, but, like, he's very much, like... And even at the top of the thing, he says, like, this isn't real. I, I get it. I'm not saying people aren't stupid. I'm not saying people aren't stupid. I'm just saying that the War of the Worlds... The, the story of the War of the Worlds broadcast is often how I think many people are first introduced to the concept of Orson Welles. 100%. <laughs> um, because he had this massive radio career. He had a massive radio career before he even did anything in film and i'm not saying in terms of him being famous i'm saying in terms of the amount of work he got he was the shadow he worked constantly because 
first and foremost, first and foremost, who first and foremost, uh, although he was a big and he was weirdo, and he actually was incredibly handsome when he was younger, but he has a great voice. He's an incredible voice. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's um I mean it's he's also one of the, those guys I hesitate to do like an actual impression of cuz I would just I I can't do it. Yeah. Like Orson Welles's voice is so distinct and like there's a baritone to it. They're like, "Listen to my voice. I can I can't do that." I can do a lot of horrible impressions. I cannot do Orson Welles. I can do the in, I, you can do the intonation and that's about it. Yeah, he's one of those guys where like the cadence and the word choice is a little more important than getting it exactly like tonally right. Which is why writing Orson Welles on Twitter is easier. Yeah, exactly. And like even uh, Maurice LaMarche's impression isn't like if you put them together, they don't really sound tonally that similar, but it's the exact vibe and rhythm and cadence that really makes it work. And I mean, I mean, that's, you know, again, to, to, to Beth's point is like he has a great voice and he had a radio career. And I mean, that's also the thing that. Brandon was alluding to is there's these infamous and I, I was explaining this to my partner. I was like, you've never seen the Orson Welles commercials. We gotta, we gotta go find a Wi-Fi hotspot right now. You need, you need to stop what you're doing. We're going to, we're going to listen to this right now is uh, there's like these bootleg clips that are now very easy to find um, of Orson Welles. Um, there's two of them. There's one of them in which he is haranguing this very British director over um, uh, a fr- peas commercial he's doing a commercial for peas and he has he's taking issue with the copy and it's just him arguing with this poor director who is like wanted to probably be the next david lean like had ambitions of being like i'm gonna be i'm gonna make films one of these days and he's just stuck doing like radio commercials for peas and orson wells is just not having it and he's just like why you don't you know so look up the p one uh, and then the second one is the the Paul Masson one, uh, in which he is um, profoundly drunk and uh, not not up to fighting shape. Let's go ahead and say, and um, no. it's uh, it's great. But like he was, all, but the thing is, is like we we kind of look at that, and again, like the popular history of him, we kind of look at that as like, oh, this poor guy who fell on his at who never who never yet ever had another chance after Citizen Kane and this that, and the other. Well, he was doing that shit in the 30s. Like he was doing pee commercials in the 30s. That's like how he made his bread and butter as he was always doing these things because that was how he financed his films. And so it's like you think of any sort of indie artist or whoever, you know, all of, a good chunk of Orson Welles films were indie and he financed them through doing stupid commercials. So it's like, yeah, he's Unicron and that's depressing and sad, but also like he was just he. He was a working actor, you know, like you think about any actor who works for a living. You're not like, oh, I can't believe Harry Dean Stanton had to be in Avengers. It's like Harry Dean Stanton took that paycheck and then like bought a bunch of weed like Harry Dean Stanton didn't give a shit. He was an actor. He works, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the thing. It's like, look, I I like money. I like paychecks. Like and nobody forces me to take any job. <laughs> you got to pay for that mom is on habit. Yeah, right. I'm I'm up to a seven bottle a day habit. I he got that shit for free, guaranteed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just pipe it into my veins. He for sure got that shit for free. I, by the way, I'm saying I can't do an Orson Welles impression and then try to do an Orson Welles impression. I'm gonna oh, keep yeah. at it. I'm gonna keep trying. Trying? Yeah, it's fine. Nobody can. It's okay. 
has to be a slightly, slightly more mumbly. You have to enunciate less. Sorry, wait, so just action, action was just say anything. Let's read the script, Orson. Oh, okay, yes. yes. Ah, the chimes at midnight. See, oh, <laughs> ah, the Shakespeare. Um, I said, well, we should we should actually talk a little bit more about his about his film work now. Yes, yeah, please. Let's. I could. I could wax philosophic about this, but we should maybe talk about yeah something substantive in his. Bu- like, why is Orson Welles actually famous? Oh yeah, his movies. Yeah, his films. I don't know. Being a notor- notorious weirdo is sometimes enough to be famous in Hollywood. Oh, totally. Um, now, do you do you have a particular favorite of film of his? Yeah. So uh, I do have a fam- uh, favorite Orson Welles. I mean, he's he has uh, again a very e- extensive body of work. He's a guy who was working for you know forty years, um, not nonstop, but he was in a lot of things, and he was making a lot of things. Um, but I think so. There's there's a lot to choose from. Um, the the one that's probably my favorite is the first one of his that I actually bought, and it's probably nobody's favorite Orson Welles movie. Uh, but it was a movie that I bought off of Criterion in like high school, and it was like a blind buy. I have no idea why I chose this. I do know why I chose it, but I don't know why I would spend forty bucks on it. I wouldn't do that now. Uh, was is a movie called Mr. Arkadin? Mr. Arkadin, I think is actually how they pronounce it in the in the movie. Uh, which is also known as Confidential Report from 1955, I want to say. Um, I, I, could, I could pick up the box and look at it, but I'm not going to do that. Um, and it's a uh, very interesting, it's very wild, um, and it's like low budget. A lot of it doesn't work. It has the same sort of really weird sound profiles of a lot of Orson Welles movies, which is it, a lot of it's just ADR. Um, and like even his best movies have that. But it's this very interesting movie that, like a lot of Orson Welles movies, was completely mauled uh, upon its release. Um, it's produced by Harry Saltzman, which, if I'm not mistaken, is one of the original producers of the James Bond films. Yes, and it is a it is a spy movie. It's a it's a like a film noir kind of early you know or middle spy movie from the 1950s, and it has this um, you know very Wellesian narrative which is that it goes back and forth between the past and it's you know all these different narratives that are intertwined and then all ends up in you know in the end with a big payoff with all of it but it's a really cool movie it's really interesting and it has a lot of the things that you were looking for in you know a james bond movie which is that we go to exotic locales there's beautiful women and big bad guys and then there's of course you know a local religious festival that like our heroes have to get split up while they're trying to pers- being pursued by killers. So um, that's that's probably my my favorite ones. Of, actually, uh, he has an incredible wig in that movie and an incredible beard. Um, so if only for that, uh, that's one of Orson Welles' uh, my favorite performances of his. Um, but I think uh, The Third Man is probably my favorite one of his that he actually acts in. What about you guys? Have you been exposed to to any other Wells films? I've seen uh, I've seen a couple. I've seen F for Fake, which uh, I really enjoyed. Um, just just for like like you were saying about how that movie's like a magic trick um, that like is designed to kind of fuck with you in a very sort of playful, but also you know putting you in your place sort of way. Yeah, well, I think that's something that's is why Orson Welles is so likable is that he's very um, playful about the way he is. Like he's very um, like, he's this big loud mouth who 
like insults people for no real reason, but he, he kind of knows he's full of shit. Like, you know it and he knows it. And like, he gets away with it. Like he's very charming, even when he's being incredibly um, like smarmy ostensibly. Oh yeah. And like, I think so much of his work uh, is about storytelling and the kind of artifice of it but both the the power of good storytelling and the artifice of good storytelling that kind of lets him get away mm-hmm. with it because like that's his whole vibe is that like he is a raconteur his things are all sort of slightly bigger than life and like you know Kane is about retelling this someone's story uh you know years later same with uh Mr. Arkadin uh yeah, it, it seems like a well he went uh, a wells he went back to um, pretty consistent. Oh, and the same with uh, uh, Chimes at Midnight, which is entirely about you know the myth of Falstaff versus the actual man of Falstaff. Yeah, Chimes at Midnight is actually not a great movie to see really high. No, I bet not. No, that was one of my first uh, stoner mistakes here in L.A. I went to Cinefamily, uh, just gripping and ripping uh for a screening of uh chimes at midnight and was like oh this is this looks pretty but these there's so many words yeah i mean i'm not a hu- the biggest shakespeare fan just because it does take uh my, my ear isn't quite developed for that but um chimes at midnight was one of those movies that like i was so hyped about just knowing about it that like you it was out of print for like forever and it's it's it was like um uh uh, what was the movie that just came the other side of the wind? It was one of these Orson Welles projects that was like sort of lost. Um, and like, you couldn't get copies of it in America and it was only in print in like Spain or some shit for some reason. So it's like, unless you wanted to import a DVD for 50 bucks and like read Spanish subtitles, like you couldn't get that movie except like Cinefamily, like a Japanese laser disc. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like which every once in a while be like, how bad do I need uh, League of Ge- League of Gentlemen. Do I uh, I, I want to get it from Japan? But um, yeah, that was like one of those movies. It's like yeah, unless you got a copy of it at Cinefamily or or you know the new Bev or whatever, like you couldn't see it. So when um, Criterion put out a, a restored release of that, I was like, I don't care if it's terrible. The, like I have to have this movie. And then I bought it, and then I realized, oh shit, it's Shakespeare. What the fuck? Of course it is. Why? Why was I thinking? Like why am I surprised? <laughs> Yeah, he he was really good at like mixing high art and low art for lack of a better term, which which I also feel like is the sort of way he would describe it. He seems like very much one of those people who's like this thing is I high art and and this is low art. Oh yeah, he's very much the kind of person that builds that buys into the high art low art myth. Oh totally. <laughs> Though I think I think my favorite Orson Welles project and maybe the most Orson Welles project of all time was the pilot episode he did for the Orson Welles show, which was going to be his talk show in the like late seventies, early eighties. I don't remember exactly when Um, it's a standard. The idea was it was just going to be a standard one hour talk show hosted by Orson Welles. And it took a year and a half to film the first episode. (laughs) And it is fucking wild. Like there's there's an interview with uh, Burt Reynolds where like they filmed all the audience questions later. Um, He's he only had they only had two cameras for some reason. So all of his reactions and questions to his guests are clearly filmed later. So he can just like 
extol for as long as he wants to and then sort of look at them and be like, right? I agree. Let me look up the the show because when I read to you about the production, I feel like the production specifics are important because it was wild. And like the other main guest on it is uh, the Muppets. So it's like, then it's just Orson Welles doing bits with the Muppets and also, <laughs> but also interviewing Jim Henson and Frank Oz. It's so, so uh, wild. I got to this I gotta see. You can find it. We found it on YouTube. It's an unsold television talk show pilot directed by Orson Welles. It has never been broadcast or released in its entirety. Filming began in September 1978 and was not completed until February 1979. One pilot of one talk show. Uh, it ran 74 minutes and was intended for a 90-minute commercial time slot. His youngest daughter, Beatrice Welles, holds a copyright to the pilot. Several of the Muppets were featured in taped segments, including uh, audience questions for the Burt Reynolds Q&A session were scripted with members of the audience given line readings. This was necessary because unlike normal talk shows filmed with a multiple camera setup, the low budget show was filmed with only one camera. So it was necessary to do multiple takes to get multiple camera angles. Holy God. That's insane. It's so it's so That's wild. Wa- like th- this is what I love about Orson Welles. This is because Orson Welles, you can get the really good stuff like Citizen Kane and the Magnificent Ambersons and, you know, his, some of his high quality acting work like The Third Man and, you know, whatever else. Or even like complete movies like Touch of Evil, which is, you know, it's low art, but it's entertaining and whatever. It's great. Um, but then like there's all of this weird shit that is spread out so far and so thin yeah. that he has this whole second act that like Orson Welles is, you know, he's the enfant terrible. He's he's the he's Hollywood's bad boy uh, and, you know, whatever. And then, like, he just got old and fat, which is great. I love fat Orson Welles. Uh, F for fake is, like, my platonic ideal of what Orson Welles looks like. Oh, same. Yeah, like, he has a... Orson Welles is a fat guy with a beard. Like, that's what he looks like. And a big hat. Uh, and a hat. And a cape. Uh, not to steal a, not to steal a um, Sharpling joke, but it's like, Orson Welles is a guy who can pull off a cape. Yeah. He is. Which, oh, related, there was a magic section in this pilot, by the way. Yeah, he does like this elaborate, like Egyptian themed magic, magic show, show yeah. at one point that goes on for like twenty minutes. Great, terrible. Yeah, it's really long because it says the editor says the Burt Reynolds segment was videotaped using three cameras. The Jim Henson Frank Oz was two cameras. We used a film camera for reshoots. I explained to Orson that the video was thirty fps and film twenty f twenty four fps. If you intercut the two formats, it would be noticeable. He said nobody would notice, but I think it looks strange. Some of the inserted footage was used to provide an editing transition where Orson would ask a question to provide a bridge into an unrelated topic. We used a stand-in for a few Burt Reynolds over-the-shoulder shots, and all of the magic tricks were a single camera film see this is like why again this is what people talk about like orson welles couldn't get work again this is why orson welles couldn't get work it's because like orson just shoot the fucking tv show he my favorite part is actually the final sentence of the short wikipedia uh, about it which is wellson admitted wells admitted with hindsight it was frankly an attempt to enter the commercial field and earn my living as a talk show host it was just a flop that's all nobody wanted it (laughs) i mean like, it's very smart of him, though, like, because Orson Welles has this whole second act basically as a talk show, uh, talk show guest. Like he he you, he very clearly was a guy who just lived in Beverly Hills. So like if Burt Reynolds called out or like, oh, shit, my plane got stopped in, uh, you know, Colorado because there's a blizzard. Dick Cavett's producer just goes, ah, get Orson on. 
We need somebody who can talk for 15 minutes about nothing. Get Orson Welles. He's he's the best at it. And like Orson Welles will just be on TV. A Tony Randall's sick. Let's get Orson. Yeah, exactly. Like Orson Welles is sick. Ed McMahon is uh, is, he's on a bad one. Get Orson Welles on. And Orson Welles will just show up and he'll be like, well, the time I met Adolf Hitler. And it's just like, yeah, that's why you brought him on. Like, you can look that interview up, by the way. Him and Burt Reynolds were like besties. Yeah, exactly. Me and me and uh, we and him are going to take a uh, road trip. We're going to do the cannonball run. It just never quite happened. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, like, you, you have him as this guy who's just sort of in uh, the margins of Hollywood. But he is this again. This is not a big guy joke is he is an outsized figure who is then sort of reduced to like dancing for pennies on, uh, you know, uh, the tonight show and stuff like that. But he's still, you know, it's, it's not as good as 1941 Orson Welles, but you can still see like that specialness to him. Uh, and there's always something that is interesting about it. Cause he is going to get on TV and talk about like, as a child, when I was in Shanghai, you're like, what, what do you mean? Like, you're not going to get that if you bring on, uh, I mean, like whoever else at the time, like, I don't know about you guys, but if you ever watch, I found myself every once in a while watching like old Johnny Carson shows. Oh, hell yeah. They're not great. No. I mean, they're, they're great, but they're not very no. good because it'll just be like, and we have uh blah, 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 blah. Who's like a third string tennis player from 1982. And you're just like, who the fuck? Like, this is an awful interview. Like this person's on. Well, I, we got our new ranch house. Uh, and as you said, it's a one story house. We have a pool. Of course, and you can just tell Johnny Carson's like, I can't wait to get to, I, I can't wait to start drinking again. It's going to be great. <laughs> um, and Orson, but Orson Welles is not a guy who has that problem. Like he's never stopped drinking. Yeah, exactly. I will never stop drinking. And uh, it's for cowards. Um, it's uh, it's fantastic. He's again, he is a bon vivant. He's a he's a he's a big fat party animal and a bit. He's a big kahuna. And uh, he's great. Like, what's what, I'll tell you who doesn't like him, though. Um, and it's great because it's it seems like a grudge for for against the dead man, uh, which is James Elroy. Huh. The writer is L.A. Confidential, L.A. Confidential, uh, you know, among Street Kings, the uh, hit Keanu Reeves picture. Uh, he He's uh, he's a long, you know, again, long and storied career. Uh, James Elroy is a uh, is a cranky old man who wishes that it was 1950. I know quite a few of those. Yeah, it's uh, and like and like uh, Orson Welles, uh, James Elroy seems to know who he is and uh, very much does not hide the fact that he's a big, cranky old man who kind of sucks. <laughs> like, uh, y- y- we know this. He knows it. You know, if you show up to a James Elroy book, you're like, oh, there's a lot of words in here I wouldn't use myself. It's like y- you probably shouldn't have bought the James Elroy book. Um but uh, his a couple of his novels take you know obviously take place in the forties fifties when Orson Welles was in Hollywood, and uh, Orson Welles is a character in m- multiple in in me- several of his books or at least appears in several of his books, and he doesn't need to be in those books. Uh, he, <laughs> but James Elroy put him in there, and every time Orson Welles appears, he insists on calling him fat. <laughs> it's very funny because it's like. Why would you just put a guy, if you don't like him, don't put him in your book. And like in his latest book, uh, there's a whole, uh, oh, there is a whole subplot about Orson Welles shooting porno films of celebrities. Ah, the cum shot. 
Um, that's now, now for this, um, where it's gonna be a close-up shot. And I work very closely with Greg Toland on this. We will change the nature of the cinematic creamed pie. <laughs> uh, I call it creamed pie. I don't care what you call it. You call it a cream pie. I call it a creamed pie. Um, my my Orson Welles just sounds like uh, just sounds like um, Catherine <laughs> Catherine Hepburn. Um, <laughs> a little bit, which is an excellent impression that I have. It's uh, I have a great Catherine Hepburn, and you won't be hearing it. You're gonna have to save that for uh, when I do African Queen on this show. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, it's. Again, it's it's like The Simpsons. It's like Pinky and the Brain, which is that you... James Elroy is a guy who... Like, there's also a scene, I forget which book it is. Uh, there's a guy who takes a woman out on a date to Citizen Kane, and it's just the guy going, what the fuck is this? This sucks. <laughs> it's the most boring movie I've ever seen. And, like, I was... I watched... I uh, went to a, a signing for um, uh, James Elroy, which uh, Judge Ito was there, but as, like, okay. not as Judge Ito, he was, like, in the audience to, like, see his friend. And was like very cagey when somebody's like, hey, are you Judge Edo? And he's like, uh, no. And I was like, okay, Judge Edo. All right, buddy. Like, I guess you're entitled to your privacy. Um, but James Elroy, again, like he insisted on like talking shit on Orson Welles, who's been dead for 35 years at that point. It's like, let it go, man. Like, well, I think kind of. I know, I know you're way into old Hollywood. But geez, the man's dead. Well, I, I think the kind of wonderful thing about about late period Orson Welles that doesn't necessarily happen with all, you know, sort of people who become kind of like Hollywood cast offs, like like someone like, like say, uh, Richard Simmons, who like he's still around. He still pops up occasionally, but it's always a little bit sad. But like with Orson, even in the later days, it never felt sad. It was just like. Oh, he's clearly having the time of his life uh, guest hosting Carson and just like roasting whoever's on here or interviewing Andy Kaufman and just being like fascinated by him. That's the, the Andy one. Kaufman one is great. Yeah, there's go go look that one up because it's it's it is sort of painful to watch because Orson Welles is like way too effusive. But it's also a lot of fun to watch Orson Welles like talk up somebody like to do a hype man bit. Oh, yeah. And then Andy Kaufman is there and his like neck brace going, oh, thanks. Like, oh, wow, Mr. Wells, thank you very much. It's like it's real. It's a real weird clip that um, which somebody dug up recently on uh, and put it on Twitter. I, I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated by all the characters you do. And the other night I saw on Taxi a scene taking place in your in the native country of whatever, wherever it is, Gondolivia. Of, uh, of your the basic character you play in Taxi. What is the name of that country? There or is no there's name. There's no name. Country. That's better that way. Call yes. It, yes. Call it Latka Land if you yeah. want. <laughs> All right. What was so great about it? Did you see that scene? It was a whole. Uh, it, it, was, it was like a whole feature movie in six minutes of uh, life and death in uh, in Lower Slobovia. <laughs> what was so great about it was how, that you played it very straight. And with tremendous sincerity, as though you, you were, you had Ibsen on your hands and not a lot of comedy writers. And it gave it a very curious resonance. And it was uh, one of the best things I've seen in a long time. Thank you. Yeah, it really was. And all those characters are great. Your group in Taxi doesn't, it's full of some of the most talented people in show business. It's, 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 it's almost unbelievably loaded with talent. Uh, but it only occasionally seems to be an ensemble show to me. 
It seems a little like a Catherine wheel in which everybody's blowing off in wild directions. It's part of the charm of it. And I think uh, it's be partly, too, because of the set, which doesn't contain you, doesn't make a community of you. There you are coming in from nowhere and drifting out again and so on. And it's perfectly adapted to your character because nobody ever came from nowhere more completely than... <laughs> Because he was one of those guys that had, like, the power to make really high art, like, really, like, gorgeous, thoughtful films, but also just do, like, stupid bullshit. So I forget who it was on Twitter, but somebody said a while ago, one of the only things I'm certain of is that Orson Welles would have loved Jackass, and Johnny Knoxville would have been his favorite. And that seemed so correct. <laughs> <laughs> it's just pure cinema yeah ah. there's another tweet that was like it, it's real there's another tweet that was like it seems like it seems Mr. Margera and the snakes aren't very good friends but let's see what happens when they meet shall we uh, this is Orson Welles speaking and this is Jackass oh god I would Orson Welles' Jackass would be great side note best mad TV sketch of all time is Kenny Rogers Jackass which is exactly what it sounds dude, like dude okay okay I could do I could do an episode just on that sketch I could you could put me on here and I could talk for 90 minutes about that sketch it's the f <laughs> it's the funniest thing I've ever seen there's nothing funnier than that sketch the gladiators must fight to please me <laughs> it's like there's things I know you can get burned out on and like things that can be overhyped. And every time I go back and watch that, I'm on the fucking, like, I don't like there's, there are comedies. I like that. There's like 10 minutes of like all of the, uh, the Kenny Rogers is jackass, like strung together on YouTube. It's still the funny, like I still bust up every it's fucking so time of Will Sasso is one <laughs> of those. Milk's gone bad. Will Sasso is one of those guys who like, he's never been in a lot of stuff. That's great, but he's like, primally funny he's great in it yeah. Oh, yeah do you have any particular favorite like orson wells gags or parodies or like you know bits about orson wells oh god i mean there's so many i mean again so that's many, the thing yeah. is that orson wells is like this classical i like classic hollywood i shouldn't say classical classic hollywood ideal that sort of survived that era because like nobody is doing James Cagney impressions, you know, like nobody is doing, um, uh, you know, I, I do Ernest, Ernest Borgnine sure. or, or like, uh, Humphrey Bogart, who is a very distinct, like Hollywood presence or like, Raymond um, Burr. Oh God, what can I think of his name? Uh, guy from Key Largo. Oh God. What's his name? He was, uh, Edward G. Edward, Robinson. Edward G. Robinson. Yeah. And like, but Orson Welles is one of these like distinct voices, distinct presence. Who's like, survived that and has somehow existed outside of the context of it being an Orson Welles parody. Like you can just put Orson Welles in a thing and like you instantly understand what the joke is. And again, even like kids, me, you know, you, you guys who don't even know who Orson Welles is at the time watching Pinky in the Brain and like you get that there's a joke here and that they're doing a thing. Like I think in terms of like my favorite just in, well, there's two, there's two insane parodies that I really dig. And it's both uh, Maurice LaMarche um, who also, uh, just as a quick aside, is on uh, the podcast James Bonding as a um, guest with uh, Matt Gorley and Matt Myra. 
Oh, is it that live one? Uh, he is on a, you know, I think I was, was I at that? I was at that one. He's a guest on a couple times. Yeah, I was there at UCB at, at, at Sunset. I was there as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we just, we, we were strangers in the night. Um, we passed each other on the, on the stairs there. We hadn't met at Ali Gertz's birthday yet. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Um, but anyways, uh, so, um, uh, he's on because of the fact, well, he likes James Bond, but also he is. Orson Welles is in the 1967 production of Casino Royale, which is a terrible movie. Uh, it has a movie with Woody Allen in which Woody Allen plays James Bond. Yeah, that would be bad. Yeah, it's terrible. Uh, it has John Huston in it. John Huston directed a third of it. Um, it also has, oh God, the Pink Panther guy, Ed, uh, Peter Sellers, who uh, plays James Bond also, who also uh, disappeared off the production as David Niven in it, playing James <laughs> Bond. Terrible movie. Um, barely worth watching, but Orson Welles plays Le Chiffre, uh, who Mads Mikkelsen goes on to play in the real movie, but, uh, Maurice LaMarche does a good bit on that. So go, go listen to that after you've listened to this episode. But my two favorites are from the nineties and they're cartoons and it's Maurice LaMarche, which is, uh, a, the critic parodies. There's multiple critic parodies of, again, um, platonic ideal of Orson Welles, which is fat old guy in a beard. Um, there's two, he does, uh, a will and testament reading on the critic. And then he does the, uh, he does a parody of the pee commercial uh, in which he goes fresh green penis. Oh, who wrote this? And that's the joke. It's so um, But then the other one is uh, again, it's pinky in the brain, but the one I would single out is again, the parody of the pee commercial, which uh, is just one of those great bootleg things that before the internet, you just had to know somebody with a cassette tape of this Orson Welles, insane Orson Welles bit of, and it's just brain Maurice LaMarche just doing the commercial. There's no context. There's no, they, they don't sugar it up. It is just them doing a straight read <laughs> in my mind, at least it might, there might be some of it of this P commercial of Orson Welles being completely undirectable um and again there's i don't know if it's an actual bit that uh, orson welles says but there's a maurice lamart bit marsh bit where he goes i only take four directions slower faster louder quieter and that <laughs> seems to be the orson welles on display during that p commercial is him just going I, I i don't know you wouldn't i i wouldn't give this to anybody this has none of the language of ibsen They're like what do you just read the fucking copy dude cut your paycheck get out of here you fucking maniac <laughs> You know, but it's like, but that is, again, it's what I like about Orson Welles. You know, he's like, he wants to do good work when he doesn't have to. <laughs> like He just needs to take the paycheck, read the yeah. copy, take the paycheck. And there's something deeply sympathetic, like empathetic, uh, that I find in Orson Welles's sort of, um, you know, him down and out in Hollywood, uh, which is that, like, he's, a, he's like a lot of uh, people like us, um, like a lot of people just on the ground level who wanted to do want to do great work and don't have the money or the support for it but like are working hard to keep on doing it and you look at again like a guy like Orson Welles um I think a lot of people probably could have turned out something as good or as interesting as Citizen Kane who like again let's face the facts uh with with Mankiewicz and uh Toland and a lot of other Joseph Cotton and a lot of other collaborators and stuff but it's just like he was just the right guy at the right time with the energy and the drive to actually do it and the opportunity. And we don't all have that opportunity. So it's this very interesting thing of this guy who 
got lucky and managed to make, you know, several movies, but like one great movie. And then, you know, it like spent the rest of his career working honestly or, you know, working and, and trying to do like the best he could. And it's like, I look at that and I go, well, geez, like he didn't give up and he had every reason to give up. He got his ass kicked by multiple media magnates over a series of decades. <laughs> and it's like, I, I'm a screw up. I can, I, I, maybe I can make, I still have my Citizen Kane in me and I'm not going to flee to Brazil um, during the editing of Magnificent Ambersons. So maybe, so as long as I don't do that, maybe I do have a, I, I might even have a better chance. So besides the P commercials, are any ones that stick out for you? Um, I am a big fan of um, Bob Odenkirk did Orson Welles, uh, essentially. I, he might have done it on Mr. Show at one point. Oh, right. But he had a character on Tom Goes to the Mayor and then later on uh, Awesome Show. Kim and Eric Awesome Show, great job. <laughs> I'm thinking John Candy. Sorry. <laughs> he had a character on... Uh, Tim and Eric Awesome Show. I'm I'm blanking on his name, but he was basically just Orson Welles when he was in his like full magician mode. Um, who was doing his bit on Tom Goes to the Mayor is that he had been hired as the pitchman for a restaurant called Puddin's, which was a pudding flavored pudding parlor, and it's just him like reading the names of a bunch of puddings. Or uh, on t on Awesome Show, he does this uh, thing called Trick My Trick. It is I, the Great Gregory. Come to you. Where was I? Oh, oh, my dear wife, Gwyneth. Oh, if I could just reach that card, I would answer the question. Ah, now you see why I need the great Gwyneth. <clears throat> Let me read, shall we? Dear Gregory, I've been performing the rabbit in the hat routine for years now, and all I get abuse. Can you help me to trick my trick? Thanks. Stand from Massachusetts. Well, Stan, uh, let me see what I can conjure up. And it's just him doing like the dumbest, most green screened magic act. And it's so stupid and so funny. I mean, my, my favorite Orson Welles stuff is just, you know, Orson Welles just being a catty bitch to people. I just, I love just like Googling the worst stuff he said about people. It's just so fucking funny looking at a good list of them. And he's not wrong. That's the other thing. Oh, yeah, he's never wrong. Things such as uh, Humphrey Bogart. Now, Bogart, who, because he met all these people, like he says these things and they sound really catty, but like, yeah, it's because he lived through this golden age of Hollywood. He's like, like Bogart, who Bogart, who was both a coward and a very bad fighter, was always picking fights in nightclubs in sure knowledge that the waiters would stop him making fearless remarks to people when he knew he was well covered by the busboys. <laughs> like, he didn't need to drag Humphrey Bogart that hard, but I believe him. <laughs> Well, it's also it's also great because he's very strategic, seemingly, at picking dead people a lot of the time. It's like, yeah, big talk. You're talking shit on Charlie Chaplin, like, which, by the way, <laughs> fuck Charlie Chaplin. But yeah, I found the Hitler one said the world leader yes. that really came to nothing as far as my memory was concerned was Hitler in the days when the Nazis were just a comical kind of minority party of nuts that no one took seriously at all. The man sitting next to me was Hitler. He made so little impression on me that I can't remember a second of it. He had no personality whatsoever. Like 
But all right, there's so much to process about that. I mean, like you're being bitchy, but also like it's been you're being petty, and it's like you're being petty about Adolf Hitler, the most evil man in the, of the century, yeah. and it's just like oh, it was a non-event for me. You know, I'll tell you, MGM, that's the real Hitler. Yeah, as a real Hitler of Hollywood backlot. On my tombstone, I want written, he never did love boat. <laughs> oh man, an Orson Welles love boat would have been great. Last question, and it's another sort of uh, abstract one. If, f- by some miracle, Orson Welles was still around today, what do you think he'd be doing? Because I think he'd be like an Instagram influencer, and it would fucking rule. He would be the only good Instagram influencer. That's oh, yeah. a fact. Yeah, he would be he would be like um who was it that started doing like like how Andrew Lloyd Webber just started yeah. doing TikTok? Somewhere between like Andrew Lloyd Webber TikTok and like uh David Lynch's YouTube videos. Yes. Because I don't think he could be limited to the like uh time limits of social media i think he would have a very active youtube channel where he would just just ramble or a podcast and they would all be poetry oh he would absolutely have a podcast he would give mark maron a run for his fucking money my dude wells on wells like uh, now let me ask you uh who are your guys (laughs) (laughs) um no, like that's I mean that's a joke question, but like it's it's a oh, serious yeah. question because I, I I mean I I like I said I I I am an Orson Welles fan and I do like derive a lot of inspiration um out of his work and out of like him. Um I, again, it's it's nice to have a hero that's already fucked up so I don't like oh yeah, no, he's he's a mess. Like I'm not going to he's not you're not going to let me down, oh, Mr. Yeah. Wells. Like I I'm a well aware of of everything. But he's also never not fully himself, which I think goes a long way. Yeah, I mean, he's a he's a person who, you know, uh, obviously took some hits but was sort of uh, to the point of, you know, perhaps arrogance of a guy who was confident in himself. Um or at least projected that. Um, I mean, certainly if you get into magic as a grown man, you must think highly of yourself. But um, I think actually he would be a really interesting presence uh, were he still alive because of the advent of of digital film, of like being able to edit on your on your PC, on your Mac, uh, you know, and like you mentioned, TikTok and and, uh, you know, Instagram and stuff. But the ability to make cinema that's mobile and cheap would have been like a, a huge boon for him because he was a guy who was always strapped for cash, uh, who never had the financing he wanted for for good reasons a lot of the time. Um, which, by the way, just look up uh, all the stories about other side of the wind. It's uh, incredible. Um, but like, yeah, I, I think it would be really fun to see Orson Welles with like a little tiny digital camera, like a big man with a di- little camera, like a little mini DV camera, like running around going, yes, we're going to we're going to shoot on uh, it's on digital film. Look at these mini tapes. I found this miraculous new device. It's called the GoPro. Yeah, but like really, though, like and I feel like there are clips uh, out there of Orson Welles talking about like production and like the I, I, I want to look it up. I. I I'm half. I feel like I'm half imagining it, but um, it's certainly he. I think would have been interested in in that type of filmmaking, and he would. It would have been fun to see him like young and mobile and like it, capable of turning out a bad film for fifteen thousand um, dollars. 
Uh, in a way that, like, you think about all these other, I don't know, you think about a guy like Kevin Smith who, like, started making, like, little indie movies and then just, like, burnt out and went nowhere. Like, he doesn't even make interesting films anymore. Like, he makes bad movies that don't seem to be, seem be for himself, you know? Whereas, like, Orson Welles, they'd probably be bad, but, like, he'd be swinging for the fences. Like, that's more interesting. That's the interesting thing to me. Um, so I don't know. I think it would just like to see Orson Welles just appearing on, like, crappy streaming shows of, like, ah, Mandalorian. <laughs> I see you have a little man there. Perhaps you'd like to sell him to me. And uh, that is Catherine Hepburn. I'm sorry. But, ah, Mr. Mr. Mandalorian. I mean, I can ah, only imagine that had had Orson Welles been alive, he would have just had, he just would have probably, I, I can't imagine he would have enjoyed Trump. No. Oh. In that I think that he just would have been so mad at somebody else getting attention. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, that's where the start, that's where he starts, you're right, yeah. Like, it just starts with, like, somebody else who is also just, like, a noted buffoon getting more attention than him the kevin smith parallel uh is actually something i was thinking about earlier is that they they actually kind of had a similar career turn where like he just sort of you know pivoted from being you know a somewhat respected you know filmmaker to just being a guy who will talk like kevin smith's you know shows are just he'll talk for seven eight hours sometimes and like just became this kind of like very compelling like weird speaker well, yeah, and it's, I mean, that is interesting because, uh, I mean, again, say what you want about Kevin Smith's output, it, uh, which is embarrassing and bad and it makes me feel bad, um, is is that, like, he is a guy who's managed to parlay his talent of talking, which, I mean, that's the dream, right? <laughs> is uh, And then he's managed to parlay that into a living and managed to parlay that back into his movies, which he wants to make with his daughter and Johnny Depp's daughter, but, like maybe he shouldn't make bad movies on purpose. Like, I don't know, man. Like maybe it's, Oh boy. (laughs) Kevin Smith saying such a bummer because again, it's, it's like the opposite of Orson. He's like dark Orson Welles because like Orson Welles was always kind of striving and like not quite getting there and making brilliant movies in his, in his like, again, even his good movies like touch of evil have like, there are things missing in there. Um, but like Kevin Smith seems like this guy who was very much like a nerd like me, who's into the same things like me and anybody can make movies. And then it's like, he just ran out of steam and like ran out of ideas and then just like got beaten by the system, like beaten by his own, uh, whatever. And like, then now just makes movies that are based around a comment he made about Canada for some reason. And it's just like, it's like a zombie. It's just the most depressing thing. For the next feature, we'll have Justin Long, but we're going to put him in the body of a walrus. Yeah, so this is something I think we can all sympathize with, which is... Who hasn't felt like a walrus among men before? Yes. Ah, uh, yes. So, uh, Red state. C- couple... A horrifying <laughs> uh, vision. A C- couple yeah. quick... Tor- uh... Terrible. Oh, God. Now I'm pissed <laughs> off. A couple quick uh, uh, listener questions um, before we wrap up. From... Uh, Previous guest and friend of the show, Brian Rubinow. Towards the end of his life, Wells would just appear in anything, hence the infamous commercials. What late 70s, early 80s classic would be most improved if Wells had been cast? My pick, Wells is Jabba the Hutt. And uh, my pick as Brandon is going to be put Wells in a Columbo. I mean, yes, I would watch that in a heartbeat. Obviously, we've discussed so many times. 
my feelings on Columba. <laughs> so yeah, what would you what what seventies eighties movie would you put uh, would you put old Orson in? Wow, that Columbo's a that's a good fucking pull, man. That's that's um, the prisoner. How about that? If we're just talking about Patrick McGoo and adjacent properties, oh, that would be good. Um, I would love to see him. Ah, yes, it's me, number two. Hello, <laughs> hello, Patrick McGowan. Ah, big yellow balloon. I mean, honestly, Orson Welles is a guy I'd like to see in anything. Uh, Blood Simple as the E.M. Ritt Walsh character. He, he's still and he's still driving the little the Beetle. And he could have done it because that's 81 and he died in like 85. So, yeah, they could have cast him as uh, that would be great. I, but also, um, anytime they do that, I would like to see multiple versions of it where we get to keep the E. Emirate Walsh version. But then there is a Wells cut. Sure. Where it's I'm in Texas. You're on your own. Uh, the Russians, they have a thing called communism. Yes. Yes. No, I'm aware. I'm reading my own script. Thank you. I, I don't know. I've never worked with two brothers. There's too many directors. There's too many directors on this picture. It's like, why did they leave that in? Why is that in the final cut? This movie's a this movie's a mess. God, now that's such a good idea that they should just do like uh, they did with Spacey in that one movie and just like replace him and uh, replace people in all sorts of other movies. <laughs> that would be so good. Yeah, I mean. It's not a terrible idea. Let's let's make it happen. I mean, any any amount of Orson Welles is is a good amount of Orson oh, yeah. Welles. So uh, that's that's my feeling. But Columbo, that's good. Yeah, like he would just yeah. be the, a weird a murderer. One. He would be great. He would be a great Columbo guest star as the uh, as the murderer for sure. Although sometimes he he you know what he could probably he would probably be pretty good also as the murder victim because Columbo often has a very long intro before oh, yeah. somebody's murdered. There could be a good 45 minutes before the murder happens. You don't even see Columbo for the first 40 to 45 minutes of an episode sometimes. And they're like honestly, if you get get Orson in that hat and that cape, uh he'd be a great TV detective on his own. Oh. Yeah. 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 Oh man. Did he yes. ever do an episode of The Muppet Show, or did he just really like The Muppet Shows? Um, I think he only did the Muppet movie. I don't think he was ever on The Muppet Show proper. Some sort of a talking bear? What is this? I've, I've never seen such things. This is this is patently ridiculous. The, uh, the rainbow connection is just an illusion. It's water in the atmosphere. Well, I mean, according to when he did his his pilot apparently he was absolutely delighted by the muppets and loved jim henson and frank oz and like really wanted to get them on again that's great oh yeah who isn't charmed by the muppets really so uh, do you have any other questions yeah so the other uh uh other audience question and we, we maybe sort of covered this a, a little bit but this comes from uh past guest of the show uh lee walton i watched the love me when i'm dead and kept thinking this can't be the whole story he was the king of all media in the late 30s and early 40s where did all the money go? Why did he spend his whole life begging for it? How bad were the contracts that he wasn't making money hand over fist? And like, why didn't Disney or Scorsese or Coppola or Lucas bail him out? Like, was he really toxic to be shunned that so thoroughly or and just become this like sideshow? What, what, what happened? My understanding is he got divorced a lot um, is ah. one of the reasons is, is he got divorced a lot and had a lot of expenses. Um, he, he's also a guy who like... Um, he he lived large again he was eating at um daily on a daily basis at a french restaurant in beverly hills um but my understanding and you know i, I stand get simon callow on the phone uh is he just worked 
over budget and not on time. And he was a guy who was very hard to work with and would not, not put the work in, in a lot of cases. Um, I, I kind of alluded to it, but on Magnificent Appersons, like the reason they cut it to shit and threw it away is that like he left production, like he finished the movie and was like, OK, goodbye. My country needs me to get drunk in Brazil. It's literally the reason that he gave <laughs> FDR called me up and you don't say no to Franklin Delano Roosevelt to get drunk in Brazil. I'm sure that was your reason because the president called you, not because anyways, that movie didn't get finished, by the way. And that's there's your other reason. Um, is so like he's this guy who, who again had this reputation as like an enfant terrible because like he always went over budget and his movies didn't make money so like Citizen Kane is a very well regarded movie that did make its movie money back in rentals eventually but like nobody that was a bomb like that movie didn't make money Magnus and Ambersons didn't make money and he had like a very a sweetheart contract that nobody wanted to like if you're making hits people will give you whatever if it's with a sweetheart contract. But like with, with him, it's like, well, you're not worth the investment. And he's a guy who kind of spent his whole life kind of digging his way out of this reputation as like being profligate and like kind of lazy, you know? And I I think also probably he's a loud mouth. And I think probably a lot of people with money and power did not like that. Um, So again, I can sympathize. Fair. Uh, well, so thank you uh, for joining us today, uh, getting an enfant terrible uh, with us about uh, old Mr. Wells. I got to say that a lot, so that's all I needed out of the day. Oh, yeah, it's a net win if you get to say enfant terrible uh, over and over again. So if people want to find more James mm-hmm. Kisslingbury content on their internet, how could they do that? Uh, well, you can go, uh, I, again, I have the two podcasts, The Quality Interruption and World's a Mess. A Quality Interruption is a... Uh, cult movie program that I do with my friend Cruz Flores uh, and that is on podcatchers everywhere so go ahead and find that uh, World's a Mess uh, I do with my friend Alex Smith uh, is a dumb news program that's World's a Mess uh, which can be found again on podcatchers everywhere uh, and because I'm an idiot I named it after a song so if you see the song by X go download that because it's a very good song but then also um, go download the podcast which is a dumb news program also, uh, we have done a Orson Welles movie or two on a quality interruption, so you can go check that out. But uh, that's the easiest way. Also, I'm on, I'm on Twitter, and that's at KisslingTwits. So at KisslingTwits uh, is my handle there. And um, I, I'm not currently, and nor do I have plans to make more Orson Welles Godzilla jokes, but there is a Godzilla movie coming out, and I, I can't say that I'm never going to do it again. You're so. like, I can't promise anything. I, I have a Baragon joke that I have like in the chamber ready to go. <laughs> Excellent. If you want to find more of my mess, uh, I'm all around the internet uh, at Hell Yes Brandon on all of the stuff. Uh, Inkblot has some stuff on SoundCloud, some live shows on 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 YouTube. Uh, I'm gonna lie about my EP and say it's gonna be dropping soon, but I really do hope to have it out by early Mar- early April. Um, happy sappy grown up hours around. Um. Yeah, that's basically it. <laughs> All right. Cool. Good. Uh, I have nothing. You can find me everywhere on the internet at, at bscores with an underscore after it. B-E-E-S-C-O-R-E-S underscore. However, the easiest way to find me would be to follow the show. You can follow us on Twitter at, at IntuitPod and on Instagram at the hashtag IntuitPod. I don't know if I'm going to use Facebook anymore, but you know what? We still have it. Um, <laughs> we, we have a Facebook page there, too. 
what would be i mean i use my facebook but like the facebook pages are just like and they're also i saw a story today that they're like being demoted facebook pages are like being demoted in the algorithm so like they're going to be even less likely to show up as opposed to groups well you don't talk enough about how joe biden stole the election that's your problem you need to get really yeah, you need to chase those conspiracy bucks that's where the money is uh, yeah so like i don't i don't know but what actually i don't even think i posted the the episode this week on the facebook page but we have a twitter and you can follow you can follow the instagram hashtag Intuit pod which all come from my account so that's the easiest way to find me um yeah, the best thing you could do for the show, though, uh, as much as following us is lovely, is if you could leave us a rating or a review or both on Apple Podcasts. We've been doing this for, uh, despite our jokes about the, the the year and a half hiatus, we've been doing this for uh, three years now. We just passed our three-year mark, and um, we would love to keep doing it for three more. So if you have ever enjoyed an episode of ours, we would really appreciate the review. Um, I know it's stupid, but it really does help the algorithm pick up on us and and help us show up higher in rankings and allow more people to find our show organically if we have those reviews so we would really appreciate it if you took a second to do that if you want to leave a review in the voice of orson wells we will read it on the show absolutely yeah if you want to leave a joke review like we'll absolutely read it i i the algorithm doesn't really care what it says like i mean don't be don't be weird we'd appreciate that like we are trying to do this as be professionals, a little weird. but like i don't know we'll read it in the voice of orson wells who cares if, um if you would anyway. like me to read it in the voice of Catherine hepburn i can also Hell do yeah. that so if you want to call me up yeah we can also get that and get up. kate on the phone i'm sure she'll pick <laughs> up yeah uh, thank you as always to Kaylin West and Tiny Stills for the use of our theme song. Starting over is a lot like giving up off the album. Falling is like flying. That is all I have for today. Thank you. Well, James, thank you again for, uh, for joining us. Um, all that being said, the podcast over. Ah. I could hear him yelling in the other room and then in the delay again, <laughs> hear him yelling on this. Oh, that was so much. Horse in stereo. Know.